All right, we start a new series today called The Better Family. We're going to be in Colossians 3 if you want to join me there. That's where I'm going to park uh, most of my time. Um, but every once in a while when I get to one of these series, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in my office and I'm like, what, what would be some creative ways for us to kind of get going? And so uh, here's what happened on this one. I went on Amazon. I purchased some action figures. Some people might call them dolls. And, uh, and this is basically what happened. So let's, let's see how this goes. The Better Family, everybody. Meet the Better Family. There's Bill and his wife, Becca. Their son, Bryce. Their daughters, Brittany and Brooke. And baby Benny, little bit better. Joining them are Bob and Betty Better, Bill's parents. Together they make the Better Family. How great is this, Dad? A Bucks playoff game and you and me on the couch just like old times. Right you are, son of mine. Let's go, Bucks! Bill, I need you to hold Benny for me. I need to head out to get our groceries. But babe, the game is just starting. Let's go, Bucks! Let me see if Mom can watch him. Mom, can you hold a little bit for a little bit? Oh, I'd love to, son. But I just started a YouTube deep dive on Sister Wives. I'll be tied up for the next five hours. Bill, this is ridiculous. Hold your son. Come on, babe. It's a playoff game. She's blocking the screen. I can't see Tom. Just take him. Mom. I caught Brooke raiding my closet and trying on my t-shirts again. Her ginormous head is stretching out all my collars. <sighs> you girls never quit. The baby is yours, Bill. I'm needed elsewhere. But babe, it's a playoff game. I can't see Tom. Why can't you girls stay out of each other's stuff for just five minutes? Say that again? This has got to stop, and you've got to quit calling Brookie's head ginormous. She's gonna get a complex. And cut. Thanks, Mom. I just posted you on my TikTok. Nice. Bryce, I need you to watch Benny so your grandfather and I can watch the Bucks playoff. Bryce, I need you to watch Benny. Bryce. Bryce. Huh? This house is nuts. Let's go, Bucks! You're too kind. Uh, we got a, an incredible team of people who can produce videos. Steven Stout came tonight, and a bunch of them. I want to thank them, and we'll see if we hear from the better family again. But, uh,. Uh, maybe a typical scene that might even play out in some of your homes this afternoon. Uh, families will have their drama, right? Uh, there's no such thing as a non-dysfunctional family. Everyone's got a little dysfunction in it. But hey, I like putting the fun in dysfunction. Is anybody else with me on that? Yeah. I remember uh, walking into a friend's house and his mom was uh, big into embroidery, and so she had embroidered this, uh, you know, uh, big picture in their foyer that said, home is where the heart is. Uh, but then later on in life, I heard a preacher say, you know, home is often where the hurt is. 
I can't tell you how often uh, I sit down in my counseling sessions and, and we talk about whatever's going on in the person's life, but invariably we head backwards in time to the things that originated in the homes that these guys or ladies grew up in and, and, and the patterns that were kind of put in place as they experienced life together with their family. Uh, I don't need to, you know, tell you guys. You read the headlines. You, you've maybe even experienced in your own families these kinds of hurts. Now, these hurts come as a result of us doing life. Any hurt, outside the family, inside the family, any hurt, any failure comes as a result uh, of us humans refusing to do life as God designs. Uh, I was at Ikea just recently with Eleanor. Uh, we were picking out some drapes for Echo, where she works. They need, just did a huge remodel. It's really cool. But uh, she needed some drapes to finish this sucker off. And so I'm pushing a cart through Ikea. Has anybody been to Ikea? They do everything a little bit different there, and their carts are unlike us, you know, our American carts. American carts have like stable back wheels, and the front wheels kind of pivot and turn and all that stuff, right? Ikea's decided that all the wheels should have the opportunity to pivot and turn. So all four wheels can, you know, articulate and move around and whatever. And, and we got one of these carts that, I, I don't know what was going on with it, but it did not want to move straight. Has anybody been behind a cart that does not want to go in a straight line? It's frustrating. I'm here for a good time. I'm hanging out with my wife. We're just trying to shop a little bit, but this thing is just all over the place. I'm barely keeping it in the aisle that I'm supposed to be riding it down. Um, and, and to me, this is what happens when we get ourselves out of alignment with God's designs. We can barely keep this, this life that he's given us going in the direction he wants it to go. Because for whatever reasons, because of our sin and our rebellion and our, maybe our, our ignorance, we just refuse to do life as he designs. I love Colossians. It's a great letter that Paul wrote to a church in, in a place called Colossae. Um, he gets kind of just you know, real short and sweet with some instructions for the family here in chapter 3. Uh, starting in verse 19, he talks to husbands and he says to husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, in verse, uh, 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 oh, that, I'm sorry, verse 18, <laughs> wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Verse 19 then says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Verse 20 says, children, obey your parents in every, everything for this pleases the Lord. In verse uh, 20, uh, 21, it says, fathers, don't provoke your children unless they become discouraged. Fathers and mothers, you're both included in there. Uh, but it's these short and sweet instructions to the family. We're going to go over some of these verses in later weeks and, and get more specific with the actual roles of uh, how you come to your marriages in God's design, how you come to your parenting, uh, whether your kids are at home or not in God's design. How do you come to your, how you should come to your childing, which I don't think is a word, but, uh, you know, as a child, how do you honor your parents, whether you're in their home or they are uh, elderly or, or, or everything in between? How do you do these things? according to God's design. But we're not going to spend our time in those verses this week. We're going to back up in the third chapter of Colossians, and we're going to see some things that should be kind of foundational in, in, in God's design for us in every facet of life, including the roles that we have in our homes. See, Paul spent some time, uh, before talking about the earthly family, he spent some time talking about our opportunities, our responsibilities in God's family. And he says, put these things on first. 
And then, with these things in place, move into those roles that you have in your homes. What we're going to see is that Paul's basically saying, if you want to be a contributor to a better earth family, be your best as a member of God's family. First things first, don't skip steps. Get the foundation dug and built before you build the house that you're living in with your family, so to speak. I'm notorious uh, for not being careful in the beginning of some project. Eleanor, um, Ikea is going to be a big player today. Our son works there, so he gets a cool discount. And so uh, the, the, the lazy Susan in the corner of our kitchen, that little spinny thing that's inside the corner cabinet, uh, has basically been broken since the first we li- year we lived there. It's kind of become this catch-all for all the stuff that we don't really care about in our kitchen. I mean, stuff just jammed in there, cans of beans, just everything. And, and so uh, my father-in-law is uh, staying with us for a month, hi, Dad. And, um, and when he comes to town, projects start happening. My dad is, uh, father-in-law is, is no must, no fuss. He loves to do projects, and so Eleanor just lists them out, right? And yesterday's project was the Lazy Susan. After six years, we're going to fix it. So I get in there and I start ripping it all out. And at Ikea, we found online this great looking uh, Swedish technology uh, Lazy Susan replacement, right? And so we ordered it, uh, Ben picked it up, we used his discount, and, and, uh, and we had it there on our table. While I was pulling the broken Lazy Susan you know, apparatus out of our corner cabinet, my dad was uh, assembling the new one. It was only after all that had happened that I took <laughs> the very expensive Lazy Susan piece that I had ordered and tried to jam it into our corner cabinet. You want to guess how that went? Does not fit. One of the first rules of construction, measure twice, cut once. You can expand that out. If you're going to go through all the work of replacing a broken Lazy Susan, make sure that the replacement part fits your cabinet. Are you with me? I'll be trying to fix the old one this afternoon. (laughs) But this is just a principle of life. When you come to life, God has a design for you. When you come to your family, God has a design for you. But before you worry about being the best husband or wife or being the best parent or child, worry about being the best member of God's family, taking on the attributes of your heavenly father so that you can honor him in the things that he's called you to do in your earthly family and bring peace and contribute to a better family. See, Paul, uh, a little bit uh, before he starts talking about wives and husbands and parents and kids, he, he says these words in Colossians chapter three. He says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, Doing things in the name of Jesus, it's a common refrain in our scriptures. Uh, The Holy Spirit comes to us in the name of Jesus, it tells us in Acts. The the, the disciples were told to go in the name of Jesus, and Jesus would be with them until the end of the age. In the name of Jesus. If you do something in someone else's name, you need to understand that Your aim in that is to do nothing apart from that person's direction, approval, and purposes. To live life in harmony with Jesus' revealed will and subjection to his authority, in dependence on his power. In essence, 
When we talk about doing life in the name of Jesus, doing all things, everything, whatever we say, do, or think, we do those things as God, or as Jesus points in the manner that he commands by the power that he gives us in all of it for his name's sake so that he gets the glory. We're gonna talk throughout this series about you and your roles, but my first hope for you is that your aim in being a husband, a wife, a father, a child, will be that you'll glorify God first in that relationship. And if that is your chief aim, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna be a good husband, wife, parent, or child. Because as you seek to honor your heavenly Father, he enables you by his grace to do all that you need according to his design in your family. I got one point for you today. Better families, ready? Dress for success. Who's ever heard that one? You gotta dress for success. You gotta dress for the job you want, right? Not the job you have. You gotta look the part. Now we are a dressed down culture. Who's grateful for that? Anybody grateful for that? My shirt is untucked, untucked right now and I am so blessed because of it. But there are some places where this would not fly where I could not wear jeans, where uh, uh, if, if I were a member of our military, can, can you wave at me if you've served or are currently, or are currently serving our military, everybody wave at me? There are certain, uh, uh, thank you for your service, first of all, but there are certain environments where this isn't gonna work. You gotta wear the uniform. You gotta look like everybody else on base or everybody else in, in your company or whatever it is that you're doing uh, because that's the requirement. Again, God's design uh, here is laid out for us in terms of clothing. I love that he does this. Look at what it says in verse 12, backing up a few verses, as he describes uh, the characteristics of God's family. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In the New International Version, it takes this Greek word that can, you know, sometimes just be translated put on. It says clothe yourself because that's what the word actually means. Now, everybody, thankfully, put on some clothes this morning. We needed more, right, than we usually do. Anybody wearing a jacket right now? We, 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 and here's what happens when we uh, get dressed. We choose what we're wearing. Did you choose what you're wearing, Andrew? You did, didn't you? Looks good on you, bro. Um, unless you're like unable to choose, unable uh, to you know, dress yourself, you, you've pretty much clothed yourself. It was your choice what you, you put on. That's why I love this example. Paul's saying, hey man, we get to choose what we put on. In life, we choose. And as soon as you chose your clothes, guess what you could do? And most of you did this. You'd go look in the mirror and you could see your choice uh, evidenced in that image reflecting back to you. When we choose what we wear, we could see it on ourselves. And then you went out in your kitchen, or wherever you go first after you've put your clothes on, and the people in your family saw your choice. Maybe your wife said, try again, honey. But regardless, people around you see your choice. That's why I love this, this little metaphor. We choose what we clothe, and we can see it, and other people can see it. And so Paul says here, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He refers to us as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. These had been terms normally in the Old Testament reserved for the Jewish race, uh, the sons and daughters of Abraham who God had called out of all the peoples, who he loves, all people. But he says, you're my beloved. 
You're my chosen ones. It's now a, 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 a term that's used to describe the church, those who are in Christ, God's chosen people, holy, set apart, dearly loved by him. Clothe yourselves, first of all, with compassion. I, I was going to put on T-shirts, like one by one, but the hair, right? Come on, I worked on this, and, there's just, and so I thought maybe, you know, mittens and boot, but I, here's what I did. We're going to use stickers, and the first one is compassion, or mercy, which is actually what this word is most often translated as in our scriptures. He says, put on compassion or mercy. As we apply these um, foundational um, commands, these foundational attributes of God that are meant to you know, show up in our lives, things that we put on. The first one we put on is, is compassion and mercy. When we come to our houses, when we come to the people in them, our default setting should be mercy. Some of you are like, yeah, Mark, duh. Oh, really? Are you super merciful with everybody in your family? I mean, none of us would ever say we have favorites, but there's some people that it's extra mercy required. Anybody got somebody like that in their family? They just rub you. They know how to push your buttons. Uh, they're that, you know, that toddler or that, that, that 10-year-old that just, you know, is, is wild and crazy and just like, ah, oh! and they can push you past your limits. What God is calling for in his family is compassion mercy. It, it stems from this word that's rooted in, in our bowels. It says, from your very core, uh, extend mercy to those around you, especially in your family. You know, every family is going to face some hurdle, some hurt that's going to require a lot of mercy. Uh, for us, my, my father, when he was living, was a pastor, a music pastor in, in churches for some 30, 35 years when uh, I was about 25 years old. We, we moved to Dallas, Texas, and in that year, um, my, my dad gave me a phone call, and he, he said, Mark, I, I, I've, I've failed uh, my marriage, and I've uh, uh, disappointed your mom and, and certainly disgraced um, you know, our, our family in lots of ways, and I need to step down from ministry. Would you come and sit in the service where I'm going to give my resignation to our church? And so we flew from Dallas, Texas, to this town that Josh and Nicole are from, and we sat in the front row of that church, and, and we listened to my dad uh, confess his sin and step down uh, from his role as a pastor in that church. It was like a funeral, and the guy that we were uh, mourning was the, the speaker. It's really weird, really hard. Uh, and, you know, certainly lots of things went into that, but here's one thing I'm glad for that we as a family did. We stuck with our dad. We, uh, we didn't abandon him and tell him, you're on your own. Uh, that happens in the church. The church is notorious for shooting its wounded. Anybody heard that? <laughs> and so when people fail, lots of people do not extend mercy. But guess what? Uh, by God's grace, our family was able to continue loving our dad. And, and my parents' marriage stayed together, even though my mom had grounds for it to end. Why? Because, whether we named it this, we were, by God's grace, through his spirit, able to extend his mercy. And for all of these that we cover today, can we all agree that God has shown us mercy? Again and again and again. 
And so if he as our father has in our family with him shown us mercy, then we should come to our families here on earth and wear mercy as well. The next one there is kindness. Be kind. I usually, uh, when I think of kindness, I think of our words. It certainly comes in our acts and other things, but, but kindness, I think, most often can come from the things that we say or express in our communication to our families. Now, I'm not saying that you can never be funny, you know, like sarcasm. Anybody here sarcastic? I'm not. But, uh, you know, like, you know, just having fun with your family, I love that. I love that about my kids. We can just have a good time, you know, jabbing at each other. I, I read this story this week. Uh, George Bernard Shaw is a playwright, uh, you know, from the, the mid uh, middle of last century. He was a, uh, uh, you know, a contemporary of Winston Churchill in London, and they were friends, good friends. And so uh, to kind of get uh, Churchill's goat one day, Bernard Shaw was opening a play, and he, he, he sent some tickets to his friend Winston, and he said, enclosed are two tickets to the opening night of my play. Bring a friend, and then in parentheses, parentheses he wrote, if you have one. Ha, ha, ha. So if you don't know Winston Churchill, read him. He's hilarious. He, was, he could just cat back like nobody else in history. And so he writes his friend, George Bernard Shaw, and he says, Dear Mr. Shaw, unfortunately, I'll be unable to attend the opening night of your play due to a prior engagement. Please send me tickets for a second night, in parentheses, if you have one. <laughs> Boom, Winston. Yeah, I don't think God is against that kind of playful banter. Is everybody grateful for that? I'd lose like 50% of my language, right? But here's what can happen so quickly. I had, to, I had to learn this. If it's not funny to the person that you're joking with, it's not funny. If your sarcasm goes too far, if, if you never speak in other terms of kindness, encouragement to your family members, if all you have is your, you know, my dad used to call me zit freak. That's a good one, right? That's a great one for a 13-year-old to hear. Hey, zit freak. I think it's off of Siegfried Roy. I don't know, but it's Zitfreak. That's that was my nickname. I laughed at it, but uh, but that could kind of, in, in some families, be something that kind of went the other direction. Are you kind in your words, or are you demanding and terse and even gruff? Do you bring all of the hurts of your marriage into your current communication? Do you uh, bring your disappointments with your kids? into every word that you say to them. I'll let you know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not who you are. That's who you were in Adam, in your sin, but you have been saved from that. And God expects us in his family and in our families to speak kindly to each other. This word in the Greek is actually a word stolen from the wine industry of ancient Israel. Uh, it, it, it was used to describe a wine that had been sitting in its cask long enough to become warm, to lose its bitterness. It's lost its harshness. And so it's, it's a good wine to drink. Are you a good wine to drink in your family? I call it a good hang. Are you a good hang? Like when your other families are like, oh, we're going to get to spend time with mom or dad or, or you know, my sister or my brother. Uh, do they... Look forward to that because they're like, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm grateful to be able to say, even with, you know, the, the things in our family that are disappointing at times with our kids or even with Eleanor and I, I always look forward to seeing my, my family. I love them. And I don't just love them, I like them. And I enjoy hanging out with them. 
And even as we joke and kid, there's kindness in our words. A couple weeks ago, a card came to my office. I get uh, all kinds of mail like you do. Most of it I don't uh, uh, even open and read. If it says pre-sorted first class, anybody else with me on that? That means not for me. But if it's handwritten, if it looks like the shape of a card, I'm like, oh, I better read that one. I immediately uh, recognized the writing on this card. It was my bride's. And so I was especially eager to open it. And I'm not going to read it to you because it's totally mushy. It says all kinds of sweet things on the front. And then you get to the inside, and it says, all I want is to love you forever. And then she wrote, total sap, yep. But how I feel, yes. Made my day. It's been sitting on my desk for three weeks. Made the sermon. Why? Because it's the kindness that God hopes for us in life. Take the opportunities that you have to build up and be kind. Humility is the next one. How are you at being humble? If you said great, you don't understand. <laughs> Humility, a key to any relationship. Uh, the Greek here is tapeno frosune. It's basically a compound word that means to be low in your mind, low with your thoughts. It's, it's not groupthink, it's certainly not me think. Being humble is living a life with your first mindset, your first thought being others. And in your family, those that you do life with at home. If we are able to put our, our family members ahead of ourselves, we're going to have our family. It's just how it's going to work. If everybody's doing that, everybody gets that, right? If everybody else is seeking to serve the other and honor the other and put the other person ahead of themselves, that sucker is going to work. Because there's no selfish person just soaking all that up for themselves and ruining it for everybody else. Humility is a mark of being a member of God's family. Humility is what we're meant to bring and put on in our families. I love this story. I may have told it before, but here it comes again. It's about a marriage where the, the two people in it thought only of the other person. It was Christmas time, and this young couple growing up in Dickensian London uh, decided to you know, purchase each other a gift. They were super poor. They had no means by which they could secure these gifts, but uh, they came to Christmas morning, and both of them had a package. They were sitting there in their, their, their nightgowns and their night hats because it was a cold evening that December, and and, the, and, and the, the, the wife said, honey, I want you to open mine first. And so she, he opens the box, and inside the box is a gold chain. And he, she says, oh, I'm so happy to be able to give this to you. I know that you have a pocket watch that just sits in your pocket, and sometimes you wear pants. You know, you're at, you have two pairs of pants, and one of them has a hole in it, and your pocket watch will fall out. And, and everybody else, you know, is, is, is being able to affix their watch to this chain and tie it off to a button so you'll never lose your watch again. I'm so grateful to be able to give this to you. And the, the husband was just, oh. Thank you so much, babe, but oh, no. And she said, what? He said, well, open your present. And she opens the present, and it's this beautiful brush and comb set. She had this beautiful head of hair. It was one of her most, you know, uh, um, lovely uh, adornments. And, and so the husband had said, you know, I, I knew that I knew that I knew that I wanted you to get this, this comb and brush set so that you could comb your hair. And, and I knew it would be such a special thing for you. But, but here's the deal. 
for me to be able to give you this brush and comb, I sold my watch. He hadn't really noticed as he was saying this that his wife had a little tear going down her face. Uh, and he said, honey, what's, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to disappoint me. I'm still happy with the change. She says, no, you don't understand. And she took off the kerchief that she had worn to bed that night. And she revealed that all of her hair had been cut short because, as she reported to her husband, I sold my hair to be used as a wig so I could buy your chain. And they had the best Christmas they ever had. Her and her short hair, him without a watch. Why? Because they gave the best gift they could ever give. The knowledge that I'll do anything and sacrifice anything for your sake. Humility. The next one's meekness. Don't confuse meekness with weakness. We talk about it often. Um, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? Yeah, I think it's funny when you say that, and you say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, if it's okay with everyone. <laughs> let, it, let it set, it'll make sense. Meekness is not weakness, it's not passivity. Meekness is being in a position of strength, and kind of like humility, saying, no, it's not about me. I'm going to, in meekness, provide for you, do for you, focus on you. I used to come home to my house when my kids were young, and I've told you this before, but one of my favorite memories of them growing up is when they were three, four, five, um, you know, us all gathering in the living room and, and uh, us wrestling, the three kids against dad. And, you know, one would grab a leg, the other would, you know, uh, you know sit on my chest and mess up my hair. And then Kai, I don't know what was up with my daughter, but she just was a wrestler from the very beginning. And so she would climb up on the back of our couch and just do these like flying knee drops on her father. I mean, every time, right? And then, uh, you know, it'd be time for dinner and, and, and eventually, uh, you know, Eleanor would call out for us to come and eat and, and, and there'd always be the pin, right? Pin dad, one, two, free. And they'd win again. Okay, just so we're clear, meekness. I was in a position of strength, and if, you know, it came down to it, I could pin all three of them pretty easy. But I chose not to. Why? It's not about me. That moment's not about me getting mine. My, that moment's about us having ours. And in that family, if you, if you are unclear of family, your family is not here for you. You are here for your family, whether it's God's family or your earthly family. You are a provision of God to others. And that should be your mindset in your marriage, in your parenting, and in your childing. The last one is this, patience. We put on mercy and kindness. We put on humility and meekness. And then we commit to be patient. How you doing with that? I don't have time to tell you, Mark. I love this Greek word. Ready? Macrothumia. Say it with me. Macrothumia. It's two words. Macro. What do you think of when you hear macro? If you're hungry, maybe it's macaroni. But macro means big. It's big. Thumia is a word that's translated in different ways in different places, but most often it's, it's talking about a, a burning, a passion. Uh, uh, it's used to describe fire. In other places, it's courage. 
Some people would read this and be like, oh, macrothumia, I'm supposed to, to, you know, burn big. But they don't understand that another translation for macro is long, long burning, meaning long fuse, not a short one. I mean, you're, you're in this for the long haul. You have long, isn't that great, long courage to face whatever befalls your family. We had the young marrieds over for dinner a couple weeks ago, and um, we, we lit a fire in the fire pit in our backyard, and it was lit when they got there. It was lit when we finished dinner, right, and, and we went back out there, and maybe they thought that I was like this master, you know, campfire builder or something like that, but, but then they got out there, and they realized what I'd really done. Duralogs, people. That's the secret to every great fire. Just buy it. You don't have to be like a Boy Scout. Just buy Duralogs, light them on fire. They'll, they'll burn for six hours. It's awesome. <laughs> that is the picture of our patience. It's a Duralog. It just keeps going and going and going. Mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These are the things we clothe ourselves with. We do this so that we're able to do what's most important in a family. Look at verse 13. We do all of these things. We put these things on so that we can bear with each other and forgive one another of any grievance that we have between ourselves. We we do this. We put on mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience so that we are apt to bear with one another and to forgive, to forbear and to forgive. I've had to learn this over and over again as a husband, as a father. Forbearance is, is this ability to not take offense, to just let things go, to be okay when your four-year-old spills its milk, his milk. It, it's going to happen. But I remember there were times where I'd be like, oh, the worst thing ever has happened. There's milk on the floor. And Eleanor would be like, calm down. You learn to be forbearing with each other as parents. The, 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 the father's going to do it different than the mother. I used to take our kids. We had one of those double-seat strollers, but we had three kids. It was, it was tough. We had to figure it out. We couldn't fit them all, especially when they got older and the baby was the baby and the guys were younger or older. And so I'd take them to the mall, and I, w- I would put the, the, the little shade thing out, and Ben would ride that like a saddle. So Cooper in the front, kind, kind of laying in the back. I had three kids on a two-kid stroller. And I thought, brilliant, Father of the Year Award. And Eleanor heard that I was doing this, and she's like, oh, how can this happen? Maybe not that bad, but she couldn't understand how I would do that. But in her, in her love for me and her forbearance of me, she's like, yeah, I'm not with you. As long as they're okay, let them ride on the top of the visor, right? In the same way that she's learned to be tolerant of me in, in so many other ways in our marriage. You forbear in marriage. My goodness, that's like a, a ton of it. You're, you're two people, different people, and you're going to do things that bother the other one. Crunching. <laughs> Taking whipped cream and putting it on every bite of your strawberries. I recommend it. I think it's good whipped cream dispersal. If you put the whipped cream over all the strawberries, it's just going to melt and make it all gooey in the bottom of the bowl. If I go every time I take a bite, I got maximum whipped cream coverage. Are you with me? 
But that noise makes my bride crazy. And she'll look up from whatever she's eating, she'll be like, But forbearance in a family says, love you anyway. Those are the funny ones. But forbearance comes up when your kid disappoints you, when your kid walks away from the faith, when you're wrestling with the deeper ills and hurts that can befall a family. Forbearance comes from mercy, kindness. Meekness, humility, and patience. We put those on so we can do what we need to do in family. We do it so that we can forgive, too, because here's the deal. Sometimes there's certain things that happen that you just can't let go. That they've, they've been too hurtful to you. And in those moments, you can allow those hurts to divide your family forever, which some do. There are people in this crowd who haven't talked to a family member for years. Because something happened that you, uh, in your hurt, feel right in not forgiving. And I'm not saying that there aren't occurrences where you need boundaries and stuff like that. Please hear me. But families are meant to stay together. As much as possible, God has put you together to stay together. And that's going to require forgiveness. So if you fail to put these things on, you're going to have a hard time forbearing and you're gonna have, it's almost going to be impossible for you to forgive. Can we go over this one more time? Have we been forgiven by a God who forgives? Come on. Over and over again. And yet, as members of his family, we're like, I don't know. I don't know if I can. No, you can't. In Adam, in your old self, you won't. But in Christ employing his characteristics, being fueled by his spirit. You can, you must, for the sake of your family. This passage finishes in verse 14 where it says this. It says, over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I love that. I, I looked it up this morning on my computer. I was trying to think of all the things that, you know, in, in different cultures you wrap instead of like button or or zip, or, or, you know, fasten in some other way. I, I, I got stuck on a, a YouTube video that shows how to put a sari on, you know, the, the, the Indian garment that the Indian women wear. It's elaborate. That's a lot of fabric. And they just keep wrapping it around themselves and tucking and then wrapping some more and tucking and then wrapping some more and tucking. If you go back in history, a couple thousand years before snaps and buttons and zippers, uh, that was how you wore your clothes. You'd just cloak and wrap, and, and you'd have this underneath cloak or underneath garment called a tunic, and you'd have this outer garment called a cloak, and you'd wrap that sucker around you. If you want to go Star Wars, we can go to the Tuscan Raiders, right? The Sand People, no one? They wrap their clothes. They're just, that's how, oh, oh no, I'm liking those, okay. And, and so as he's talking about getting dressed, he says, absolutely, mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, Patience, put all those on, but wrap them all in what? Love. It's like the belt on an old man's pants. If you don't have that, the pants are coming down. Pants on the ground, pants on the ground. Everybody with me? But love, love wraps all of those things up, makes them possible and, and, and portable, and, and they continue on. 
Why? Because God has loved me, I love him. Because God has given me my family, I love them. And by his grace, I'll put these on. How you doing with these? Are they on? Are you humble, kind, merciful, patient? Maybe you've been blown it this morning in some of these before you got here. As we move on in the weeks to come and talk about the different ways that we're meant to honor God in our roles as a family, we're gonna come back to these over and over again. Because for you to be a good husband, you gotta be these. For you to be a good wife, you gotta be these. If you want to parent your children well, got to have these. If you want to be a kid who honors his parents, you got to have these. So let me pray those into us. God, we thank you as we take this opportunity to continue in our service and worship you. We thank you for your grace to us. It is abundant, <laughs> it is apparent. It is amazing. You have, uh, in Christ, uh, shown us your mercy. And in him, you've, you've set us an example for kindness. You've, you've uh, helped us understand humility because Jesus emptied himself of himself and became nothing. You've, you've drawn us into to what it is to be meek. There's been no one meeker, no one more powerful, and no one who set that power aside more than our Savior. And God, we, we just are so grateful for your patience. We all need it. Thank you for your patience. Now help us to be like Jesus in all of these things when it comes to the roles that we inhabit in our families. Make us better families here on earth because we're better family members of yours in our lives. We're gonna celebrate you now in song. We're gonna ask for you to be the center of all that we are, that Jesus would be at the center of us, that by his spirit we would move forward with these things that we've talked about. Grant us that, God. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.